Welcome to another edition of Profiles, a look into the music, artistry, lives, and legacies of the musicians and artists who defined a uniquely creative era by breaking boundaries and finding new influences. While they not only ushered in social as well as political change, they also created immensely popular legacies that have truly stood the test of time. The topic today is the 25th anniversary of Buena Vista Social Club. My very special guest is Nick Gold. Nick Gold was at the helm of World Circuit Records for about three decades. The label has produced some of the best world music around. Buena Vista Social Club, Ali Farkaturé, Umu Sangare, Tumani Diabate, Czech Lowe, just to name a few. The London-based producer has a nose for talent, but maintains being allowed to work with such artists makes him the lucky one. Buena Vista Social Club is both the name given to the extraordinary group of musicians and the album recorded in just seven days in 1996. It's now 25 years later. To celebrate the 25th anniversary of the album's recording, producer Ry Cooter and Nick Gold have gone back to the original tapes and into the archive to produce this deluxe remaster package, featuring previously unheard tracks from the original 1996 recording sessions, previously unseen photos, and new liner notes. Nick Gold, welcome to Profiles. Thank you very much, Maggie. Nick, the Buena Vista Social Club was something that happened because a project you'd planned for in Cuba didn't work out. Tell us about the session you originally wanted to record in Cuba, why those plans fell through, and how you and Ry Cooter came up with a plan B. Sure. So, I mean, the original idea or concept behind the album that became Buena Vista Social Club was a collaborative recording between some musicians from Mali in West Africa, a guitarist called Jelly Madi Tunkara, whose fame mostly comes from a band called the Super Rail Band of Mali, and an Ngoni player, which is like a traditional banjo player called Baseku Kuyate, also from Mali. And the idea was to bring these two musicians together with some Santiago, you know, music from the east of Cuba, where Son was born, in a mostly guitar-based collaboration. And, you know, the idea behind that came from I had a lot of experience of listening to African music and Cuban music had become massively popular from the 40s and 50s and 60s in Mali. And I was listening, when I went and visited the country, I was hearing Cuban music played by Cubans from Cuban recordings and also imitated by Malian musicians who were doing their version of Cuban music. So I just thought it would be interesting to have a mixture. So Nick, why did you invite Rai Cooter to be part of this project? Well, I'd worked with Rai Kuda on an album with another Malian musician called Ali Farkaturé a couple of years earlier, which resulted in an album called Talking Timbuktu. And, well, Rai had been a sort of musical hero of mine since my teenage years. And, you know, I've been a massive fan and we finally got to work together on this record with Ali Farkaturé. And he's just the most amazing producer, incredible sensitivity, in getting a performance, looking up repertoire, capturing an amazing sound. So I invited him to see if he'd be interested in this, in coming to Cuba with us for this project. And he came back immediately. It was a days of faxes, you know, the fax went out and it almost came straight back, coming back through the fax machine saying we're in. So, you know, that was very gratifying. So we had to go there and make two records, actually. That record, which didn't have a name at the time, it was called the Eastern Album. 
or the country music album and an album with a Cuban musician called Juan de Marcos Gonzalez. He was leading a band which he christened the Afro-Cuban All-Stars, which was a big band basically paying homage to the sound of the 40s and 50s Havana, bringing together three generations of musicians who actually had played that music up to younger musicians, you know, who were discovering it for the first time. Let's talk a little bit about the studio where the recording sessions took place. Because when I interviewed Ray Cooter about the reissue of Ibrahim Ferrer's Buenos Hermanos, it's coming up almost on two years. Ray talked extensively about the studio. Yeah, that studio in Havana, so it's on central Havana. It's called Arieto Studio, or now it's called AVM Studios. It's part of the state-owned music and record company. You get to it along these little streets and it's sort of off the street. You don't know it's a studio and you go in this glass door. You still don't know it's a studio and wind up these wooden stairs and, you know, along a balcony, which is half exposed to the uh, elements, to the weather. And finally, you get to walk into this glorious room, which is this very beautiful, very large single room. It's a very high ceiling all wooden panelled on the sides, the ceilings wooden, the floors wooden. Unfortunately, very, very creaky floor. And it's just got this most amazing sound. I mean, even walking across it, the footsteps sound beautiful. Talking to each other, even in the empty room, there's something about it that's just beautiful. I think that particular studio was built in the 50s by an independent label called Panart. And it was where all the original Cuban jam sessions were recorded, the original Cachao sessions recorded you know and a lot of other barossa sensacion recordings were made there napkin cole had recorded there. it was you know incredible storied room amazing recordings have been there since the 50s we recorded in a similar way to they recorded then you know everyone playing live together in the room and rye was very keen on putting up these ambient microphones like a stereo pair like you would record classical music so high up in the ceiling we had this pair of microphones to get the ambience of the room and then we had you know microphones micing the individual musicians and instruments as well but in the mix i think mostly we used those ambient microphones and it just captured that band in that room to the extent i think listening to it you feel like you're sitting amongst the musicians it has got this incredible enveloping sound to it where you feel you know you're this sort of privileged interloper on some sort of a private session it has an, an amazing intimacy but it contains a power and a delicacy as well i just think it's a wonderful place to be when you listen to that i'm taken to that room anyway yes the sound of the album is spectacular and nick we began the show with this special edition of buena vista social club We've got a whole lot of bonus material on the album. We began with the alternate take of Chan Chan. Wow. Tell us the process of you and Rai getting together all these years later and finding all these gems. Just talk a little bit about the bonus material. Yeah, I mean, the bonus material falls into two categories, really. Some of the material was basically songs that were worked for the album, recorded onto multi-track, and then didn't quite make the cut. That's not to say that the recordings weren't good enough. We just had too much material. In the end, the album's long. It's an hour long. That was long for those days. And 
we had to work very hard to try and represent all these amazing musicians that were part of the record and amazing styles that happened and everyone had favorite songs so some of them had to get left by the wayside until now so we found some new songs well new songs that were for the record like for example vicenta atus ps la kleptomena they were all finished songs and mostly compai songs or compai and eliadis songs but then also, because we had these two amateur microphones running all the time, in those days we had a DAT machine, little stereo recorder, because the whole record went onto two-inch analog tape, which was very precious. So, you know, we couldn't record endlessly on it because we had a limited amount of the stuff. But we did capture, we kept these tapes running all day. So there were bits, you know, there's conversations, there's like half songs, there's auditions. There's a lot of auditions because we had a repertoire ready for the collaboration album as it was the africans and the cubans together and when we found out that the africans couldn't make it we had to completely change plans and in the end the musicians themselves were suggesting songs mostly by playing them which were most of the time much better than the repertoire we'd already researched so part of these songs is like you'll have Eliadas and compai for example they would just sit there and say what about this one and they play this song you know some amazing santiago song played just beautifully together seemingly with some magic gift they had between them you know complete with solos vocals everything and then they just finish that song and start another one and another one and then Ruben Gonzalez for example would just play and play and play all day unless you actually asked him to stop he would have played you know 24 hours a day and incredible, beautiful improvisations, boleros, dance-ons from uh, Ruben. So we were able to capture a lot of this and then go back and listen to this hours and hours and hours of recordings and sort of try and pull out complete songs and things of interest. In the end, I think we've got over an hour's worth of bonus, you know, it's called bonus material. I think it's, you know, it may, helps you feel like you're a part of the process, I think. Yes, it definitely does. And I'm such a huge fan of Ibrahim's, and I want us to take a listen to one of these bonus tracks, an alternate take of Ibrahim Ferrer singing Dos Gardenias. I just think it's glorious, Ibrahim singing it. I mean, I think in the end, from the record and the film especially, Ibrahim came out of that as many people's favourite. He sort of tugged at the heartstrings of a lot of people. But I remember... Ibrahim coming into the studio on the first day, we were working on that song, which had been suggested by Ruben. And I think Puntiita was singing it. And Rai said, is there a, someone with a softer voice who can look at this song? And Barbarito, who was in the control room, overheard this and suggested to Wanda Marcos that he goes and finds Ibrahim. So he went and got Ibrahim, who was very, very reluctant to come to the studio. He had an unsuccessful end to his career and he was quite bitter about the recording industry and he wasn't really interested in coming back into studios but under Marcos persuaded him and he came into the room and he looked around and I think he immediately looked into the room and Eliades started playing Candela to him because they'd known each other from Santiago and he knew this song and you know Ibrahim started singing this song which was this amazing up-tempo song improvising lyrics and then you know we finally got him over to Ruben and Ruben started playing Dos Gardenias, the song that he was brought in for. And already, you know, we were very taken with him, excited by this song he was singing. But then as soon as he opened his mouth and sang the opening 
notes, the opening lines of Dos Cardenas, really, you know, everyone's jaw dropped, was just sensation, was so, so beautiful. The alternate, I think, is a tiny bit slower than the finished take, but it's unusual to get more than one take on these things. To do more than two takes, and the performance started to get weary. So Ryan was very keen on getting early takes of things. Anyway, I just think it's beautiful. Amazing trumpet solo as well, which he delivered every time while he does. From the 25th anniversary collection of Buena Vista Social Club, the beautiful alternate take of Dos Gardenias. Dos Gardenias para ti. Buena Vista Social Club is both the name given to this extraordinary group of musicians and the album, recorded in just seven days in 1996. And as Nick mentioned earlier, Nick Gold, my very special guest, in Havana's 1950s vintage Egram Studios. It was clear from the atmosphere of the recording sessions that something very special was taking place. However, no one could have predicted that Buena Vista Social Club would become a worldwide phenomenon awarded a Grammy the next year in 1997, and I believe at 8 million copies, outselling any other record in the same genre. It's now 25 years later. Nick, I just want to get your response, because I did speak with Ry Cooter uh, about a year and seven months ago about his reaction to the popularity of this album. Were you surprised when Buena Vista Social Club won a Grammy? I think in the end, when it became like this incredible phenomenon, everyone was amazed by it. But at the time of recording, I think it was very apparent to all of us in the studio that something special was happening and that something very important was being recorded. You know, there were some very important musicians there and they were making a very beautiful music. You know, each day we would come in in the morning and listen to what we'd done the day before, and it was as good as we'd remembered it. It was still incredibly exciting and uplifting, the whole process and project. You know, it was exhausting as well. You know, we worked very hard, but it was... There was a buzz that we had something amazing, and then we came home and we mixed it. I think we ended up mixing it three times because we were trying to achieve that sound that we heard in the studio, which is a very rarely get listening in the control room, and it's sounding exactly the same as it did in the room. But here it did, with incredible clarity. And so we finally got it, and then we wanted to present it as well as we could. We worked very hard getting information and showing, explaining who the, who the musicians are and so forth, and it was released. And, you know, it started to sell pretty well at the beginning. I think, you know, one of the things that might have helped it was Rye himself hadn't made a record for a long time, and, you know, having his name attached brought a different sort of attention to it, certainly in Europe anyway. But it caught on very quickly and it seemed to be by word of mouth. It seemed to be one of those records that you heard a lot in pubs or bars or cafes and restaurants. I mean, if you were in a pub and it was playing, you'd notice people come in and they'd look around to see where the band is, because that was part of the sound of it being so live and immediate. And I think at the time there was a lot of very convey about mechanical music being made and this was very much music being made by people it had an almost tangible quality to the music and its beauty and intricacy and it was played well you know with power but with some sort of amazing calm at the same time and then the musicians started to come over on tour you know in various guises 
So Compibe started to tour, Eliades would tour, Wanda Marcos brought Afro-Cuban All-Stars over with Ruben and Ibrahim and with Pierre Leva, Wahida Mirabal, Kachaito on bass. So the musicians started to come over and play and, and really they could play and they could put on a show as well. Being Cuban and from that era, they were used to putting on a show as well. So they captured audiences very, very quickly. Then the Grammys came, then we were able to encourage Wim Wenders to make this film. So it was a gradual sort of growth. It was quite a fast growth. And then it just, you know, people just adored them and they toured and toured and records kept selling. It was an amazing time, really. So, Nick, we're going to get back to a little bit of music from this beautiful Buena Vista Social Club 25th anniversary edition. And I wanted to play a couple of short pieces from pianist Ruben Gonzalez. And this comes from the bonus tracks, Mandinga and Siboney. Nick Gold, the Buena Vista Social Club project also resulted in an Academy Award nomination. Tell us about the Vim Vendors film and how that project came to be. Rye was scoring a film for Wim Wenders at the time, just after we recorded the Buena Vista album. I think it was End of Violence. Can't be sure which film it was. But of course, Rye was still enamored of the recording we'd just done and kept playing little bits and pieces from the recordings and which very much got Wim's attention. So they would talk about it. And then, you know, I think either I suggested or Wim was curious about going to make a documentary. And then we were able to arrange these concerts, one in Carré Theatre in Holland and another one, well, I'll come to that in a second, which was really difficult to bring all of the original musicians that we gathered together for Buena Vista to get them to do any live shows because after the success of the record, they'd all gone out on their own. And, you know, of course, Buena Vista was just a one-time only group, you know, brought together for that studio. But we managed to bring everyone together for these shows in Amsterdam. And it was such a fantastic show that it was thought we should try and repeat it in Carnegie Hall in New York, which is very, very difficult to do, partly because of the situation of Cubans going to America to play. Eventually, we were able to make it happen. So that was the final piece of the jigsaw enabling Wim to make this film and he came over to film during the sessions of Ibrahim Ferrer's first album so the, the studio footage in the film is from Ibrahim Ferrer's debut album rather than the Buena Vista album itself and I think they came over for a week it was really fast they had a fantastic partly Cuban partly German-American crew and they had incredible um person finding locations you know they had these beautiful locations very customized to each musician where they went and filmed portraits for the musicians and then were able to couple these together with the concert footage you know and climaxing in this amazing performance at Carnegie Hall after that film when people went to see the concerts they thought that they knew the musicians and they had a quite a strong emotional attachment to the musicians when they were seeing them which added something to all of these live appearances afterwards and how people listen to the record i think it's you felt an attachment you know they really caught your imagination those musicians you felt you knew them somehow so you know helped with a, an intimacy well when i watched the film there's such happiness to watch the synergy with all of the musicians. It is an absolute remarkable document in time, a musical document, and we miss the ones that are now gone. So I'm so glad that it was captured on film. 
because it's like a once in a lifetime experience to watch these artists work together. Kompai, Segundo, Omara, Ibrahim, Ruben, and all of them. And of course, Ry Cooter, the way he sits in the back <laughs> with his legs crossed. Mm. His son, Joaquim, who's a friend of ours here at KPFK. You know, he's about 20 years old. It's absolutely amazing to watch all of these beautiful, beautiful musicians. My guest, Nick Gold, has been the force behind some of the most successful world music projects of the last three decades, plus Buena Vista Social Club, which we've been discussing which has sold over 8 million copies around the world. Talking Timbuktu, that is Ali Farka Ture's Grammy-winning album with Ride from 1994. And we love the music and the reunion of Orchestra Babaub, the wonderful Latin-flavored Senegalese band of the 1970s and 80s. The work that you do, Nick, is absolutely extraordinary. And so a final question and thoughts. So 25 years later, what do you think the legacy of Buena Vista Social Club has been and what will its success mean for the world music artists in the future? I think the legacy importance, it was listening to you just talk through the names of the participants on the record, really. It's just incredible roll call to be in a room with all of those musicians for them to be gathered together for that project. It's just really of the highest quality. I mean, the legacy really is the record and having those musicians put down their art and wonder to share with everyone. And I think it really is Cuban music at its very best, that sort of Cuban music at its very best. And it captures a moment in those musicians' lives and experience that is just very beautiful. And I think it's really timeless. It's a magical, timeless thing. You've sold World Circuit Records, Tell folks what you're doing today. I'm taking a minute now just to have a think. I mean, it, it has been overwhelming to work with some of those musicians over time. It is incredible when, like, that roll call of musicians. I just feel like I'm in a time when I just need to take a moment and think what to do next. So I'm as curious as the next person. <laughs> Wonderful. So let's end our time together with another piece from this beautiful, and it's like a book, you know, even though now World Circuit Records is being handled by BMG, they're keeping up the exquisite quality of World Circuit Records. And it's like the vinyl edition is absolutely extraordinary, but even the two CD set is gorgeous and it's like a book. So let's go out with one more from Buena Vista Social Club 25th anniversary celebration. How about if you pick the last tune, Nick? I would go with Vicente. I just think it's a real classic Santiago. I mean, the real thing about that record as well, it's very much a Santiago record, a musician from the east of Cuba, except for really um, Ruben. Otherwise, it has a very strong Santiago flavour. And that particular song with Eliades and Compay, you have these two generations of masters just locked in with each other. I just think it's just gorgeous. Nick Gold, thank you so much for your time. I would definitely like to stay in touch with you. Yeah, me too. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much, Maggie. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks for joining us for this edition of Profiles. And please join me next time for another in-depth look at the legendary musicians and artists who changed the trajectory, opened our minds, and have continued to inspire us. I'm your host and producer, Maggie LaPique. Special thanks to my producers, Jerry O and Andrea Love. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to tune in next time for Profiles with Maggie LaPique.